Praise God. That means one of you soldiers are without your sword. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless your name, we give you thanks. For indeed, the entrance of your word brings light, and it gives understanding unto the simple. Even as you broke bread by the sea, Lord Jesus, and you fed multitudes, this morning I pray that you would feed us. For indeed into your hands we come in this hour. Hide both speakers and hearers under your shadow. God, that we may have all attention unto the cross. Show me myself in the word and show me my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Can we have our seats? So this morning we come back once again. Study God's word. And I invite you to open to the book of First Peter. As we continue our studies in the book of First Peter. And this time we will turn to chapter 3. And beginning from verse 8 even to the end of that section in verse 12. Verse 8 to verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 3. And I read, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary blessing. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now if you could turn to chapter 2, and I'll read verse 11 and 12. And in your own mind you could make the connection. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. The intention of Peter is very clear. From what we read in our second reading is that Peter says that among the Gentiles we need to have our conduct honorable. And watch the phrase given in verse 12, it says, which they observe. Therefore, there is an observation that happens when a Christian is living. You don't live your life in isolation or in a cocoon. We are exposed to the scrutinizing eyes of the people around us. Therefore, Peter's intention is quite clear over here. His intention is that our good will not be evil spoken of. Paul repeats that in Romans 14. He says, let not your good be evil spoken of. One of the things that, is, um, that catches the attention of the Lord Jesus is inauthenticity. 
we were reading the um, book of Revelation and we were studying that in our own groups. And we find we come to the church of Ephesus which outwardly looked very good. It had all the activities of a church that had to be there. There was, there was the uh, strong doctrines that were being preached. There was the resistance of false teachers. Everything outwardly that you find good in a church was happening in the church at Ephesus. But what caught the attention of Jesus was the phoniness. Was, was the hypocrisy that all these things were being done devoid of love. So he comes back with all commendation and then he brings out a condemnation. He says that, but you have lost your first love. And that's not the Lord Jesus alone. You know what? The people of the world can also understand phoniness. They know what is inauthentic. They know what is pretended. What are the masks that the people are wearing? One of the objections for a young man that I know who does not come to our church is that the church is full of hypocrites. Would you blame him? After reading such a text as this, it would be hard to blame a person who brings an accusation against God's church that the church is filled with hypocrites. The world has seen it and so has the Lord Jesus. And he writes to the book of, he writes in the, to the letter to the church at Ephesus, he says that you are a bunch of phonies. You don't have love. But he does not Leave the rebuke over there. He says that there is a way to come back. Return to your first love. Inauthentic Christianity catches the eye of they that observe. And that's what Peter is addressing over here. His main concern is that believers begin to live an authentic life. An authentic life, something that is true, something that is genuine, something that can be put through the fire. What prepares a church for persecution is authenticity. There's a story told about a church that was worshipping underground in communist Russia. They were worshipping and... Suddenly, somebody comes in with a gun and says, everyone who wants to save their life, leave. And a whole bunch of people took off. And then this man puts down his gun and he says, Pastor, continue. Let us let the authentic start worshipping. What prepares a church for persecution? And Peter's letter is full of Preparation. He's, he's got a pastoral heart in which he prepares the people for suffering while he also makes them see the inheritances that are available in Christ Jesus. The promises that are given unto us, the hidden riches of Christ are that which is reserved for them that are not phonies. So this pastoral intention comes out every time you read Peter's epistle. And then I found something interesting over here is that he always interspaces the commands with promises. If you read the book of Ephesians, you find that the first three chapters is full of doctrines and then the next three chapters is full of practices. That's Paul's way of writing. But Peter's way of writing is quite different. He brings out a promise and then he leads you to, a, to an action. He wants you to do certain things. And then he, as if he can read our mind, he also answers the question, why? 
Because in this passage that we read and we are going to focus on right now, he answers the why question quite easily. And I trust that all of us, while we read our Bibles, would ask the question why. Rudyard Kipling said that I have six good fighting men who are always with me. Who, what, when, why, how and where. I hope they are with you as well when you study your Bible. Anyway, just by way of reminder, Peter is writing his letter to scattered people who are under persecution. And beginning from verse 13 onwards, he had specific instructions to a group of people. The first set of instructions was to people living under unfavorable government. I hope you remember that. The second set of instruction was to people under non-Christian employers, as it were. And the third set, which we looked at last time, was set of instructions to both husbands and wives. And now he begins this section by saying, finally, all of you. So he's not, he's had a specific word to citizens, he's had a specific word to employees, he's had a specific word to husbands and wives, and he says, now, all of you, finally, telos, finally does not mean he's going to close his letter, finally means I'm going to bring this thought to an end, the thought of how to live an upright life in the eyes of a watching congregation, how to live an upright life in the sight of somebody who is looking from the outside into the inside of a church. How to live an authentic life as a citizen, how to live an authentic life as in your relationship at home, in your relationship at your workplace. How do you live an authentic life? That's the primary focus. And now he brings that thought to an end by saying, finally, and then he brings in three separate, you could say, stream of thoughts. The first one is given in verse 8, in which he has five adjectives. Verse 9, he has two actions, which is based on those five qualities given in verse 8. I hope you are paying attention. Verse 8 has got five things that we need to possess. Verse 9, how to behave with those five things that we have. And then from 10 to 12, he brings in the Old Testament, which was the working Bible of Peter. Because the New Testament was not available by then. He was writing it. So that's, that's basically the division of this section. And... Peter addresses his twin concerns through these three separate divisions. Now, if you'd, if you'd look over here, verse 8, it say there are five adjectives in the Greek. They are not verbs. That's why I read from the ESV, when we read that section, all other translations has got B. The B, B-E, is an added word by the translators. In the original language, you don't have the B. B, like-minded. B, kind-hearted. But in the original language, it is an adjective. And if you've paid attention in your English class, adjective is something that qualifies a noun. Just like an adverb qualifies a verb, an adjective qualifies a noun. That means that the noun is us and the adjective talks about us. That means these five things are not five things that you should strain to do. These are five things that you should be. Do you see the picture? At least nod your heads, I'll be satisfied. These are not things that Peter imposes upon you and says that be kind-hearted, be tender-hearted. 
have brotherly love in your heart. But he says, you are kind-hearted. Anyone who sees you should see these five in you. Anyone who is describing you to someone else should be able to say that brother so-and-so is or sister so-and-so is not she behaves in a tender-hearted manner. She is tender-hearted or he is kind. He is sympathetic. You see the difference? You see what Peter is getting at? He is not an unlearned fisherman after all. He has been with the Lord. He knows his Greek. He is not using verbs. You see, we like using verbs. Verbs are something that put action. Tell me what to do. Peter was that man. You find that in the book of Mark. He says that and immediately Jesus went here. Jesus went there. But when he writes his pastoral letter, he brings adjectives. And these five adjectives are like five fingers that come out of the same palm. That means that you cannot have one without the other. You could have it in different measures, but you still need to have it. Just like all your five fingers are not of the same length, thankfully. But they do come out of the same palm. So Peter wants us to exercise all five, knowing that we are all five at the same time. So that's what verse 8 is about. And he says, finally... And this is what should characterize our relationship. If you've seen from verse 13 onwards, it's all about relationship. How you relate to the government. How you relate to, to, the, to the family. In a family circumstance, how do you relate? How do you relate in a workplace? So it's all about relationships. And these five are all about relationships. Let's, let's go through it one by one. He does not pick out all the attributes that a Christian should possess. He just picks out five and they are not without meaning. He has a purpose in bringing out particularly these five. Number one, like-minded. All of you have the same mind. Not come to the same mind. He says, I assume that you in the church, you who are going through persecution, you who are suffering, and even if you are not suffering, you are of the same mind. That's the assumption. He says that be like-minded in all that you are in the church. The Greek word uses homophrones. Homo, you know, is, it means of the same kind. And, and frones means thinking. It, it constitutes your frontal lobe. That part of the brain that does the thinking. Homophrones, that means you need to think alike. Now, does it mean that we are uniformly thinking about everything? That doesn't mean that God makes clones. God doesn't make clones. Each one of us has got a different personality. But then when it comes to the essential things of Christ, you should be thinking about the same thing. You see what Peter is getting at? He said that you are brothers dwelling together. Therefore, you need to be thinking about the same thing. Set aside the differences of things that are not eternally consequential. Peter said that, uh, Paul said, don't get into arguments about fables and about genealogies and tales and all that. They only gender strife. Same thing Peter is saying, you need to be of the same mind. You need to think about the same things. Now, how one should we be? Jesus prayed in John 17 and he said, just like you and me, Father, are one, let them be one. That's the extent of oneness God expects of us. How much one should we be, even as the Father and Son were one? They had the same thought. The father and the son had the same thought. 
They were thinking alike. And he says that we as Christians should think alike about the essential things. Now you see how important this is in terms of living an authentic life. A life that is not masked. We are thinking the same thing. You also find that this is an attribute of God. In Philippians 2 it says that you should have the mind which was in Christ. And what was this mind? He had the mind of the Father. That he did not consider it beyond himself to lower himself. And the Father had the same mind. That's a central concern. Paul and Peter had the central concern. How much one should we be? That's something that Jesus prayed and that's something that the church displayed. Acts chapter 2. They were one in one accord. They were together. You're asking, did they agree on everything? Certainly not. But on things that were essential. The things that lead to eternity, they were agreed. Just for a moment, come with me to Ephesians 4, and we would read the initial four verses. Ephesians 4, what are the things that we need to be united about? He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now look at the things we need to be one about. There is one body, one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And then he begins by saying, but you have all been given different gifts. You see that? It's not that we, when we, it, it, it's like an orchestra. It's like our choir. Do they all sing with the same tone? Obviously not. I mean, there are some among us who are, who are singing, we could bless their heart if they were, we could use them as a foghorn sometimes. But then they are singing. It's not that we sing five different songs. It's that we sing the same song. Under the one conductor, Jesus. That's what Peter is inviting us to. He's saying that you who are in the church, be like-minded, be the same mind, have the same thought about things that are essential. But then, you ask the question, how do we understand what we need to be united about? We just need to read the first two chapters of First Peter and we would know that Peter is not throwing this into a vacuum. He's already told them that they have been purchased with the blood of Jesus that is precious beyond all things. He said that there is an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. He said that we are all being built up like lively stones upon the chief cornerstone. He already said that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And based on all of this, Peter's readers would have understood what being of one mind is about. Question. Are we of one mind here in the bread of life? Do we think alike about the essential matters? Will one from the outside looking inside, will he see this kind of a unity? That's what we need to work on. The second word is sympathetic. Not pathetic. Sympathetic. He's saying be sympathetic. Don't be pathetic. 
Now, sympathetic is a beautiful word. I, Peter is developing a new vocabulary over here. Four of these five adjectives are not found anywhere else in the New Testament. If you look at a Greek concordance, you will find that there is only one reference for, for this word, sympathetic, sympatheos, which means that it has something to do with your pathos, your feelings. Peter is saying, you, I assume you Christians have the same feeling. And obviously the thought that comes to mind is Paul writing to the Romans and he says that weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And essentially we find that weeping is easy, but rejoicing with someone, ah, that's difficult. But the feeling goes both ways. He says that we rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with them that weep. Now why is that? Again, I want you to cast your mind back on the precious promises given. Because you have received so much from the Lord, because your eternity is locked in heaven, I want you to feel with your brother. I want you to have the same feeling that he has got. The same emotion. We... The church becomes a subculture of its own. We are so far removed from the pathos of this world that we are no longer sensitive to its needs. Did you hear what I just said? We've become a subculture of our own. That means that my best friends ought to be Christians, but I don't have an unchristian friend. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible says that do not even uh, associate yourself with a sinner who is a brother, who continues in sin. Far away be them that, that are not even in the Lord. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that abandon your Christian friends and run behind. And, but let's not cocoon ourselves, become so engrossed in ourselves. The main reason why Victory Nights consists of just you and me is because we are cocooned in ourselves. We just care about ourselves. And most of our Victory Nights are for believers. Whereas month after month the call goes out and says, reach out, reach out. We were just reading a a, a, a devotional on, on D.L. Moody, how he was influenced by a 27-year-old evangelist called Moorhead. Moorhead was there in, in D.L. Moody's uh, town and he preached for seven days on one single verse, John 3.16. He kept preaching and preaching from Genesis to Revelation all about the love of God. He preached and preached and D.L. Moody was sitting there and he was weeping and he said, Now is the time that I understood the meaning of the word love. Be sympathetic. Have the same feeling. Now don't run to a person who lost his mother and say, say that I know how you feel. Absolutely not. You don't know how he feels. Don't say that. But what you could do is that you could sit there, hold his hand, weep with him. Because that loss is irreplaceable. And how about rejoicing? When was the last time we rejoiced? When we weep with someone, we show that we, we have the same feeling. When we rejoice, we show the same thing. And just a word to those among us who, are, who don't even share anything. Let me encourage you to share your heart. Would you share your heart? I'm not God. I can't read your mind. Are you weeping? Tell me you're grieving. Are you glad? Tell me you're glad. Ah, then brother, it is my temperament. It's not temperament. It's just obeying the word of God. 
you are a new creation so why you still got a temperament of the old man unless we feel with one another in the body how can we feel the pain of the lost i hope you're reading genesis uh, revelation 6 and 7 One third of the earth is destroyed by the four horsemen. And was your heart even grieving that your mother or your brother would be one of them? And this was the same God of love. We've stopped feeling. we've become the church at Ephesus devoid of the first love i was ministered to strongly by just these five adjectives i was telling the lord lord bring it back in me i hope you do that go to a place called calvary talk to the man who hung there for us moving on number 3 loving as brothers this is also a unique word the best translation could be a hyphenated english word brother love brother hyphen love that means it does not say love as brothers it says love because you are brothers you see the difference how would you love your brother you're not impassionate about him you're passionate about your own brother he is your flesh and blood he carries the same dna he came from the same set of biological parents or are you estranged it says have brother love philadelphoi have that brother love the the familial love that you will pour forth on your own family i mean if we can't love each other as brothers then how can we love someone who's outside the petty differences that keeps christians away isn't it a reproach to the one who died for us how do i love my brother peter helps us in the next two verses we'll get there 10 and 11 he brings that from psalm 34 he says keep your tongue from evil and our brother is helping us through the book of james it says the tongue is a small member i mean it's 100th of your body weight but what a world of iniquity it sets itself on fire and it sets its whole course keep your tongue from evil don't talk about your brother anything bad if you don't have anything to say don't say anything at all keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile how else can you help your brother how else would you love him turn away from evil do him good seek peace pursue it will you can read that hundreds of different ways in which you can love your brother love as brothers love love because you are a brother and how blessed is that one word you pick up the phone and somebody says brother so and so we we kind of lost that culture we just use the first name and we say hi john hi jack it's good at least you remember his name the brother would be something that you can escape if you forgot his name 
But honestly, how many of my brother's name do I remember this morning among you? Love us, brothers. That's, if that is missing in the church, the world will know it, and Jesus knows it. Number four, tender-hearted. This is the only word that is seen elsewhere in the New Testament. You find this in Ephesians 4, 32. Tender-hearted. But there it is used as a verb. Here it is used as an adjective. Tender-hearted. It's a funny Greek word. Eusplechnoi. Repeat that five times. You splash noise. You know what it means? It means your bubbles. It means your guts, the most tender part. Why has God protected the ribs and the intestines with the rib cage, where the heart and the intestines with it? Because those are the most tender parts. Your love should come from here. You splash noise. Love from here. That means that you weep. Now you see why these five are connected? Weep with those who weep because it comes from here. It's not here. Rejoice with those that rejoice because it's from here. Love as brothers because that love originates from here. The tender part. The most tender parts. For the Greek, it meant guts, valor. But for the Christian, it means the most tender part. You splash noy. Love with tenderness. The Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Do you see that? He was not just compassionate. He was moved with compassion. He did something. Correct? Isn't that what it means? When you are moved with compassion, you just move over. Moved with compassion. The same root word is used in 1 John 3.17 which says that how can you shut your bubbles of mercy from a brother whom you've seen and claim that you have love for God? You see that? Bubbles of mercy. It is love in action. It is purposeful love. It is what you have purposed to bestow. Moving on. Number five. Humble-minded. Humble-minded. And we also are so familiar with this. We've seen that in the man of Calvary. Humble-minded. That means that simplicity. One of the hated virtues among the Greeks is what Peter brings out in his letter written in Greek. The Greeks considered the humble as weak people. You, wanted to, you want to be mocked? Act humble in front of a classic Greek. For him, valor is everything. Bravery, bravado is everything. But Peter says, humble yourself. Humble-minded, right in your mind, you are humble. And the opposite of that is quite clear. Pride. The cause of divisions in the church is pride. The cause for split in units is pride. When one considers himself better than the other. We've all done that. We've all been there. 
But are we being transformed? That's the question. Humble-minded. Where is the boast if you can climb those stairs to the upper room? Where Jesus, having finished supper, removed his outer cloak and he put a garment around him and took a basin of water and washed the feet of Judas, who would in hours betray him. Where is pride when you see that your Lord has done this? Where is the room for pride? You want to strut about like a peacock? The king of glory didn't do that. Humble-minded. All of these are rooted in one thing. Love. Peter said that, Paul said, phi minus one equal to zero. First Corinthians 13, he said, if I have all tongues, if I have all faith, if I have working of miracles, if I can do this, do that, yet do not have love, he said, I am nothing. Five minus one is zero. Moving on, verse 9. How do you manifest this grace? Peter says, not returning evil for evil. He goes on to the practice now. These are the things that you ought to be. And while you are this, number one, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you might inherit a blessing. Verse 8 lists out the graces. Verse 9 talks about the manifestation of these graces. How does it manifest? Number 1, you keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. That means that you, you ensure that you don't hurt someone with your words. Evil, the word evil in the, in the Greek, it means inherent wickedness, malicious intent. I mean, the person has not even done anything. He has got an intention of wickedness towards you. You don't return evil for evil. Or insult for insult. The night Jesus was betrayed, he was insulted. All you need to do is turn to chapter 2 and verse 23 onwards. Jesus did not revile when he was reviled. When he was accused, he kept silent. No wonder the power of that silence that Pilate asked, Do you not say anything at all? He did not revile in return. He did not curse back in return. Now it would have been enough if Peter stopped there. He had the teaching of Jesus in his heart, the experience of Jesus in his mind, when he pushed this a little bit further and he said, instead give a blessing. You see that? It's there in that verse. It says, don't give evil for evil or insult for insult. If he had stopped there, that would be enough. He said, but, now the word but over there, on the contrary, it means a 180 degree turn. It means, do just the opposite. You give a blessing. God bless you. Bless you. Keep saying that, I bless you. You're not a you're not a priest to say bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. You're not doing that. That's that's not the kind of blessing. 
you bless in return. How do you bless? Number one, Jesus said that in Matthew 5, 43 onwards. Luke 6, Sermon on the Mount. How do you bless? How do you bless? Do good to them that despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for them that use you. Number one, good way of blessing is go out of the way and do something good. If someone asks you to carry his shield a mile, go with him too. If someone insults you, bless him by praying for him. Not just praying that he gets a transfer and moves to Timbuktu. And gets eaten by cannibals. Pray and say, God, I wish that the grace of God, the man of Calvary would come into his life. Lord, I pray you would transform him. Lord, I pray that you would make him a missionary. Send him forth among cannibals. And let him preach the gospel there. You are doing him good. You do good by thanking God for him. If it was not for Laban, Jacob would not have learned this lesson. Thank God for tough masters God puts over us. Do good. When they write a wicked report about you, thank them. I thank you that you consider me a horrible worker. I'll work harder next time. You know what it will do? Heap coals on his head. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. When God wants to repay, I would just step back. I hope you do the same. Do not return evil for evil, insult for insult, instead a blessing. And it says, for this you were called. Peter brings the calling over here. Today morning, if any one of you woke up and thought, I wonder what my calling is. Here's your calling. I mean, many people say that when I came from Nigeria, I was asking God, God, is, what is my calling? Your calling is to do good for those who persecute you. You could say an amen. Your calling, according to this verse, and there are many verses in the Bible which talks about your calling, I'll leave it for you to find out. But this verse says that you are called to do good for them that do evil. Tit for tat is kids work. We were in the playground and somebody sticks his tongue and you stick it a little bit longer. If someone bumps you on the shoulder, you bump him back. If someone cuts you on the road, you accelerate and you overtake him, grit your teeth. Peter says, that's not what I learned from the man of Calvary. And that's not what I want you to learn. Would you give him a blessing in return? Would you make his life so miserable with blessing? Would you insult him with blessings? Would you do so good to him that he says, I wish this man would stop blessing me. How are you doing in that area? And it says, now this is the beauty, it says the, the, the tense of that verb, blessing, is continual blessing. I mean, not sporadic, not once in a while, not during Christmas when you buy, buy him a plum cake, not once when you come back from vacation and you have a small thing for his table, your boss. That when he sees that, he feels like taking that and throwing at you. Not once, 
continual blessing. Do it over and over again. Next morning he struts around like a roaring lion. Good morning, sir. I hope you had a nice weekend. He say, why is this man insulting me? Oh, I'm genuinely, genuinely interested in you because my God teaches me to do that. Because while on the cross, my Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we are the children of that Most High God. Amen. Finally, he brings in the equity. Who will bring in the equity? Now, Peter is so beautiful that he he does not leave the people without corroborative evidence. The people must be asking, so what? He said, this is what Bible has written. And at that point of time, the Bible that they read was the Old Testament. And he brought in verses from Psalm 34. Now, Psalm 34 is about a man who was chased around by a madman. King David, the anointed one, was chased around by one who was jealous. He was running around like a madman, hiding in caves. He even went into Philistine territory. He behaved like a madman, spittle drooling down his beard. And he writes Psalm 34. And look at what he has written. It says over here, for, the little word for at the beginning of verse 10 gives you the reason why you need to do all the above. Why should I do all the above? Pastor Peter, would you please explain? He says, gladly, I invite your attention to Psalm 34. Would you read it with me? Peter says, for... Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Do you love life? Have a good day. If someone tells you have a good day, that should be the day that you have blessed someone who has persecuted you. Do you want to see a day full of God's goodness? Then let him keep his tongue from evil. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And verse 12 is the most tenderest of verses. The most hopeful. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. There are two blessings that Peter gives over here. He says that one is your inheritance which is reserved for you in heaven. He's already dealt with that in verse 9. But here in verse 11 he says another blessing entails them that do these things. Number one, God will begin to answer your prayers. If you have ever wondered why my prayers are not being answered... Could this be one of the reasons that you've not begun doing good against evil? For his eyes are upon the righteous. I leave you to do your own concordance. Go through the Bible and find out the eyes of the Lord. They always represent an eagerness in favor of his children. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth, looking for someone on behalf of him whom he would show himself strong. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. That means that he is watching you. You are under observation. All over this highway you will find boards written, roads monitored by cameras. I wish we would remember your life monitored by the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. For what? To do them good. He knows you are going through a tough circumstance. He knows your boss is persecuting you. He knows that non-Christians are at your throat. He knows that you are forgiving when somebody else is not forgiving. 
He knows that there is a tough challenge that you are going through. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their cry. You see the the Hebrew word over there in the Old Testament means as a mother stoops down to her child. The child cries out with the arm up and says, lift me. It's only a haughty mother who would stand like that and say, you climb up if you want. I'm yet to see a mother who does that. She stoops down to carry the baby. And that's the intention of that word. It says that, and then his ear is attentive to their cry. He inclines to their cry. The Lord inclines to the cry of them who are continually doing good, who have these five graces in their life, and they are doing it over and over and over again. As Peter came to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Is it seven times? The Jews believed that you could forgive someone three times and that's over. Peter wanted to be clever. He said, I will do it seven times and said, Jesus said, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Jesus was saying, it is not the quantity of the forgiveness, it is the quality. He wants us to have that kind of authentic life. We live as brothers. We have, you splash noy, the tenderness in our bowels. We speak good when evil is spoken. We have mercy, sympathetic. But then he also gives you the comfort by saying, His face is against them that do evil. Now before you think that, Wow, my evil guys, the evil guys around me are going to get some fire and brimstone. I want you to think, are you one of those wicked ones? Because his face is against them that do wickedness. Again, I want you to run to your Bible and look at all references of the face of the Lord. Most of them, not all of them, most of them refer to God's anger. And here it says that the face of the Lord is against them that do wicked. Mind you, mind you, wicked could be those that are among his children or those that are outside. If we do tit for tat, don't show love, then what would we be called? Wouldn't we be called wicked? Let's bow our hearts in prayer. The five pearls of authentic Christianity. God has already spoken. The manifestation of these graces in our lives. The firm foundation of the word of God. The promise that is in him. That his eyes are upon the righteous. And his ears are always attentive to our cry. But his face is against them that do wickedness. How much do we need to yearn for those five graces? Would you talk to God if you find yourself deficient in any one of them? Would you tell the Lord who intercedes for you, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and say, Lord Jesus... I find myself deficient over here. I am not moved with sympathy. I find brother love missing in me. I find that I don't have like-mindedness. God, I find that the bubbles of mercy are missing. God, I find humility is far from me. Lord, would you deal with me? Would you deal with me? Are you talking to God? Would you tell Him? If you are strong in some area, would you thank God for Him and say, God, I see this grace in me, but more of your grace. More of your grace. 
more of your grace. Oh Lord, I want to be an authentic Christian. My children are watching me. My colleagues are watching me. Lord, I want to be authentic. I want to be true, genuine, oh God. Father, it's been a simple message, Lord. But yet a very timely one about authentic Christianity, about the responsibility that each one of us has towards them watching from the outside onto the inside. We confess that of our own strength we cannot do this and we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We thank you that Jesus Christ has paid the price to, to buy for us all these things. Father, help us to possess and to exhibit these virtues. Help us to keep our focus on the inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. The best life, not just good days, but the best of days that is reserved for us in heaven. And Lord, I also pray for them that are far away from you today, them that do not know this grace. I am praying for a stirring up of their hearts tonight, a stirring up of their minds towards Christ this morning. Lord, I pray that they would recognize the poverty of their own spirit, the poverty of their soul, and they would come to you to receive good days. In you we have life. And for those of us who are assured of salvation, God, the days of persecution are not far away. We pray that you will authenticate your church, strengthen us, Lord, prepare your people. And if by your grace you allow us to escape these persecutions, if by your mercy you don't allow us to see those days, then Lord, we are grateful and thankful for even that. Help us to relate to one another as a family, as a church. Work through us, O oh Lord God, as we bless you. We thank you, Father. Shall we rise to our feet, even as we close? A timely message. Time to look at ourselves. How do you see yourself? How does the world see you? How does your neighbor see you? How does your brother see you? How does God see you? How authentic are you? How many masks do you have? Biblical maths is not the same as what we learn in school. Five minus one is equal to zero. You either have it all or you have it none. Let me just read from Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another in, with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needy of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on things high, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In my Bible, this is subheaded as behavior of a Christian. You and I are called Christians. We were asked only to look at five characteristics. 
Look at that. In your own life, look at that. Look at yourself and ask yourself, do these adjectives describe you? Like-mindedness. Sympathetic. Brother love. Tender-hearted. Humble-minded. Do all these words describe you? Is that what your neighbor sees in you? All these five characters. Or are you minus one, in which case you are zero? Turn to the Lord. Let's just tell the Lord, Father, thank you that you have spoken to us this day. You have once again given us the road map, guidelines that we need to follow. And it's not difficult. Clearly the Bible tells us what we need to do to live life. These are last days, brothers, sisters. God is telling us to mend our ways. God is telling us to look at ourselves. We are falling short of who we should be. We are falling short of His glory. And God is simply saying, My child, look at yourself. Look at the, the log which is in your eye before. Thank you, because you have touched me today. You have spoken to me. Father, change me. Mold me. Make me into that kind of person you want me to. We sang that song. Mean it when you sing it. Mold me. Make me. Use me. The way you want to. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us again. You have told us what we need to do, Lord Father. You have told us the words that should describe us, Lord Father. And Father God, we thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that each one of us can use those words in our own lives, Lord Father. We thank you, Lord Father, for your servant whom you have used today, Lord. I pray, Lord Father God, that you will continue to pour out your blessings upon him, your anointing upon him, Lord Father, that he will come to us with more words of wisdom as you provide to him, Lord. Father God, we ask for protection and blessing on him and his family, Lord Father. We pray, Lord, that you continue to use them in this place. We give all glory to you. And Father God, even as we depart from here, Lord, we pray, Lord, that these words which you have spoken to us, will ring in our minds, Lord. And we will act on them. We thank you, Lord. We give all praise, honor, and glory to you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen.